Good morning. There it is. Good morning. We'd like to welcome you all to church this morning as we come together as God's people. Please stand and join us as we sing his praises together. Our God and firm foundation.
invite the ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings. Father, we thank you for what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. We are here today because of your grace and mercy in Christ. And we come today in joy and in anticipation of what you're going to do on the day when Jesus ushers in his kingdom, but also in what you are doing in our lives, in our world, even right now. We thank you, Father, that as we come to you today, we come knowing that you 
love us and you care for us. We pray today that as we, as we confess our sins to you, we will know the power of your forgiveness. As we place our relationships in your hands, we will know your restorative grace. As we place our future in your hands, we know that you will lead us and guide us into the ways that will move us to spiritual growth and, and to deeper things with you. So we thank you. As we gather today, there are many needs that we represent and that are among us. We pray for those who are grieving. We think especially of Troy Martin and his family. In the last few weeks, his brother has died and now his father has died. Give to him and his family your comforting presence. We pray for all who are struggling with health issues in a variety of forms and ways, and we ask that you would bring healing to each one. We pray, Father, for our nation. We ask that you would help those who are recovering from disasters and tragedies to know uh, your power to overcome and your people to be present. We pray for the people in Hawaii dealing with the volcano. We pray, Father, for places around the world where people are dealing with tragedies and disasters and live in the threat of those every day. We think of places where war and violence are just life. And we ask that you would bring peace. We pray, Father, for refugees around the world. As they struggle to find a new home, new circumstances, jobs, purpose for life. We thank you for the work that Steve and Ruth Strand are doing in Buffalo. Much of their ministry is among refugees. We ask that you would, you would use them and bless them, give them strength that, that for the tasks before them. And all the churches that they connect with and the people they connect with, may they bear witness to you and be a light in some difficult circumstances. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, and particularly those who are new Christians. As they come new into the faith, the opposition is strong. Keep them faithful to you. Bring around them others who will love them and care for them and nurture them and and be a, a place of security and strength for them. And may they bear witness in miraculous ways. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers today. Thank you for your love and grace to each of us. Be glorified. As we continue in our worship, giving thanks to you for our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. The scripture reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 10. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God. An eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with you, our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now... The one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him. Whether we are at home in the body, or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. The Word of God. There are some inserts in your bulletin today. Uh, one of them is about uh, it's spring, but it's fall's coming. And I know that many of you here are students and you're getting ready to leave town for the summer. And we pray that you have an awesome summer. And uh, for those of you who will be returning in the fall, 
We would love for you to be thinking now about your involvement in ministries, your opportunity to serve and to use the talents and gifts that God's given you. And you can, uh, you can fill out the, the form listed in there. You can drop it. Well, I guess we've already taken the offering today, haven't we? So don't do that. Uh, you, can just, you can hand it to me or one of the, uh, the ushers as we leave today, or you, know, you can drop it by the church office. But uh, whether you're a student or you live here year-round, uh, it's a time to be thinking about as we're planning for the fall ministries. And also, for those of you who are members, we'll be voting on May 20th uh, for some of our leaders of the church. Uh, there are ballots posted around the church, and also in the back there are booklets with the ballot, but also pictures of the uh, people who will be uh, who are on the ballot. And sometimes we don't always put names and faces together, so it's an opportunity to do that. There's also an insert in your bulletin about the community financial plan, and uh, Kim Poole, who is the elder representative to the finance committee, is going to share just briefly about that. Good morning. On behalf of the Finance Committee, I want to thank you for your generous tithes and offerings over the last year. Um, We have been able to fully fund our ministries, maintain the upkeep of our church building, and support numerous uh, missionaries and outreach programs. And this is largely in part to your consistent giving and increased giving over the last year. So looking forward to next year and planning for the necessary financial resources that we will need to continue and to expand our outreach, the elders are proposing and fully believe that our church can support an increase to our budget. I want to draw your attention to the, um, the insert just to highlight a few of the areas that we are proposing increases as part of our 2018-2019 community financial plan. We are proposing a significant increase in local outreach programs, which includes uh, Celebrate Recovery, the start of that program, an increase for equipment related to improving our church safety, 2% salary increase for our staff and pastors, 3% increase for the missionaries we support, and modest increases to all of our church ministries as proposed by those ministry leaders. So this results in a 4.9% increase. And the Finance Committee and the elders uh, understand that this is a step in faith, but this is exactly why we are proposing it. We are excited to see how God will supply for our needs as together we step out in faith to serve him and to serve one another. If you're interested in looking at a more detailed description of the community financial plan, there is a sheet available in the foyer, or you can also get a line-by-line description from the church office. So we're asking for you to pray over this proposed community financial plan and to also pray about your own time, treasures, and talents and how God might be asking you to give more generously. And finally, to um, cast your vote for this proposed plan on Sunday, May 20th. Thank you. Thanks, Kim. Let me invite you to uh, stand and share a word of greeting with others here in worship this morning. have mixed feelings when we think about our bodies and minds. We are appreciative of the fact that God has given us uh, bodies that we can accomplish things and we can have relationships with people. We're grateful for the minds that we have, that we can think and process and learn. But we also recognize that our bodies uh, get broken Our bodies fail, our bodies hurt and ache, we have pains. I think one of the most difficult things 
for us when we think about our bodies and our minds is that most of the time when we think about things that we do that are wrong, the sins that we may commit, typically they are related to our bodies or our minds. The thoughts that we have, the actions we do, the words that we say. These, these ways in which, in which our bodies respond in, in, that create for us problems and difficulties and things that we know are not what we're supposed to do. Most of the time, it's connected to our bodies and our minds. And that can often lead us to think negatively about our bodies and our minds, particularly when we perceive what heaven's going to be like. I think there's there's certainly a a movement that has been in the church for a number of, of years, hundreds of years, that has seen the coming of Christ and and our eternal existence as escape from our bodies and our minds. These bodies and minds that fail us, these bodies and minds where our sin seems to be focused, we want to get away from that, and we think of heaven as escape from that. But the implication of that is, that what God created is bad. And God didn't create what was bad. When you read the book of Genesis, when God is, gets to the end of the creation story, at the end of chapter 1 of Genesis, and each day he's looked at everything, he says, good. When he gets to the last day, the day he created human beings, he looked at everything he's made and he says, this is very good. The problem is not... Our bodies. The problem is not our mind. The problem is sin. And when we think about the new heaven and new earth, it is not escape from our bodies and minds. It is a new life free of sin. And that's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 that if there is no bodily resurrection, then there's no resurrection at all. He says, if if we're not going to be bodily raised, if our eternal existence is not going to exist somehow in bodily form, probably much like the resurrected body of Jesus, then there really is no such thing as a resurrection, and all of us are fools. It's the bodily resurrection that makes it resurrection. And it's what we see in Jesus. Jesus is not just a spirit when he's resurrected. People can see him, touch him. He can eat, he can walk, he can drink, he can have conversations. And I suspect that that's a lot of what our resurrected bodies will be like. But the problem is, we live now with bodies that are broken and troubled and quite frankly affected by sin. And so that's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning of this section, Paul writes in verse, beginning in verse 2, We grow weary in our present bodies. We get that. And we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. What Paul is saying is, in that eternal existence, it's not escape from our bodies and minds. It's the restoration of our bodies and minds. All that sin has broken and marred and skewed and troubled, God is going to restore. And it's going to be awesome. I often think about this when, when I encounter people who are particularly broken in body and mind. And my heart aches for the the pain that they endure and the difficulties that they go through. But it's also in those moments that I get a glimpse of what their body and mind is going to be like someday. Someday, that broken body that I see in front of me is going to be restored to full health. Someday, that that mind that has... lost its focus and and it has has been so damaged is going to be set free and restored. And I find great joy in seeing that as as I walk through the journeys of life with so many people. What we're really saying is that on that day, that God is going to, to bring healing. And that's what Revelation 22 talks about, the healing of the nations 
in the city of Jerusalem. And so what God's going to do is going to be a place of healing. It's going to be a place of health. It's going to be a place where bodies are restored and minds are going to be restored. And, and we are going to be fully human as God created us to be. And that's why we, have, we give dignity and honor and respect to bodies and minds now. We treat our own bodies and our minds with dignity and honor and respect. And we treat everybody else's body and mind with dignity and honor and respect. Because it is a creation of God. It's a gift of God. It's not a coincidence that when you look through the history of the world... At the forefront, over and over and over again, at the forefront of of the creation of hospitals and medical clinics is the church. You look back at at the hospitals, you just look around the nation today and in the world today and you look at the names of hospitals and so many of them are connected to Christianity. Because there is a mindset in the the Judeo-Christian faith of how we see our bodies and our minds. And our calling is that we, need, we are called by God to be a presence of healing, not just of soul and spirit, but of body and mind too. To do everything we can to help one another. And we will be fully human in that day. Sometimes I think, I mean, I used to think that that, that day we'd be able to escape from being human. Because human feels like such confinement. Again, that's because of sin. But actually, we will be fully human. All that God created us to be. When you look at Adam and Eve in the beginning of the story in the Garden of Eden, and they are fully human there. They know what life was meant to be. They experience the intimacy with God. And they experience intimacy with each other in the most perfect way. And they are truly living. It's sin that corrupts that. And on that day, when Jesus ushers in the kingdom, and you and I are restored, and given new, given the restored bodies, and restored minds, and find that life in God, that will be life. You know, we sometimes think now that, you know, this is life, this is living. It is, but that's abundant life. That's the life we were created to experience. Joy and peace and love and grace and mercy and truth and everything positive that we could think about what we want life to be. That's it. And so someone has said, we often talk about about that life as sort of the afterlife. They said, maybe it'd be more appropriate to talk about that as life and this is the before life. I think there's truth to that. We're living now in the before life until we experience the full restoration of God into real life. Fullness of life. As God created us and meant us to be. But the question is, what is that going to look like? And quite frankly, we get glimpses of that in the scriptures. We don't get real clear pictures of everything that, that life is going to be like in terms of body and mind. On those days and lots of other things. We look at what John says in Revelation. We look at what different authors of scripture say. We look at what the church has said through the centuries. And we think about it and we process it. And we come to some tentative conclusions. But here's the thing. When Paul, Paul reminds us in Colossians. That we are to think about heavenly things. Because how we think about heaven has a bearing on how we live on earth. If all we were talking about was how, what heaven's going to be like, and it was completely disconnected to how we live on earth, then quite frankly, we're really wasting our time thinking that much about it. But because Paul and others say, what that life is, we have to think about that life, because it has a direct bearing on how we live now, it's important to at least ponder what that life's going to be. I've been thinking a lot about that. And I'll be honest with you that part of what I want to say here is is supposition and conjecture. I think the scriptures help us understand this in a roundabout way, but we can't look at a scripture and say, 
Okay, that spells it out explicitly for us. We're using our minds that God's given us. And one of the things that I think about that day is that there is a certain element of knowledge and learning that I think will be ongoing. I always had this mindset, you know, most of my life, that when we, when we arrive at that day, that we will now have, will understand everything that there is to understand. And we will experience everything that there is to experience. We will have perfect, full, infinite knowledge of everything. That's, that's what I used to think. And, and maybe, you know, the, but I've kind of come to the conclusion that I'm not sure that's exactly right. For one reason, if that is true, then we are infinite like God. And I don't think we will ever get to the end of knowing God. Because we're not God. We're created in the image of God, but we are not created gods. We're, we are human beings created in the image of God, but not God. And that's why Isaiah says, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. I don't think he's just saying, now while we live on earth. Because again, we would be God if we understood everything there is possible to understand. We would be God, and I don't think we are. I think there is a continual learning and and opening up and developing about who God is. Because it's a God is too big, too glorious, too deep, too magnificent, too infinite for any of us to ever get to the place where we say, I have figured it all out, even in eternity. I also think there's an element of this where there is the joy of discovery that God has given us. And I recognize that, that not everyone is excited about learning, but we're excited about Figuring out something. And you think about what is it that you love to figure out? What is it that you love to learn about? What is it you love to, to develop understanding about? Whatever that may be. And you think about the joy of when the light bulb goes on and you say, oh, I see it now. I didn't see it before. I understand. I think heaven's just going to be filled with all of those moments. Those moments of joy. When all of a sudden we understand. I think we will understand some things about this world that we don't understand now. I think God will open our eyes and we'll say, oh, I see it now. Maybe I shouldn't have been complaining so much. You were at work after all. I think there are all these kinds of things that we'll learn and grow and understand. Because we want to know God and we want to experience more and more of God. And there is a journey to learning. There's a journey to accomplishing things. And I used to think that work <clears throat> was a result of the fall. You know, when you're, when you're you know, 12, 15, 40, um, you know, you, you're like, I'd like to get away from work, right? And, and that certainly scriptures tell us that, that heaven is a place of rest. And we rest from our labors. And I think what he's saying is we rest from the way work affects us now. Because now, work often is something negative. Quite frankly, for a lot of us, work controls us. Work is what produces stress and anxiety for us. And so we interpret work negatively. But work's a gift of God. Adam and Eve worked in the garden. God says very clear, I want you to tend the garden I've given you this garden, now you take care of it. Take care of the earth. Work it, tend it. And I don't think they stood back and, you know, blinked and everything got that was not right got right. I think they dug in the ground and I think they planted seeds and I think they, they did those kinds of things. And they found great joy in watching stuff grow and seeing things develop. They worked. They had activity. And it makes me wonder if in the new heaven and new earth, as we live on this earth that God's given us, we will have the joy of activity. It will not be stressful. It will not control us. 
It will not be what we maintain, what we think will be our identity like it is now. It will simply be the joy of accomplishment. The joy of activity. The joy of learning. The joy of growing. The joy of being fully human in God's wondrous, awesome creation. And we will use our minds and our bodies to develop things and to grow things and, and, to, and, and to worship God. If we got to the, if, if when we arrived in the new heaven and new earth and we instantaneously know everything and we just sit around and we do really nothing because everything that needs to be done has been done then in a sense, we could say, I've arrived. I don't really have any need to have relationship with God anymore. I've arrived. I've accomplished everything to accomplish. I know everything there is to know. I've figured it all out. Everything is clear. I don't really have any need for Jesus. And if heaven is anything, it is, a, it is populated by people who have understood, have come to the conclusion that nothing is more important than wanting and needing Jesus. That we understand that life is only possible in Jesus. Life is only life when we surrender to Jesus, when we give ourselves to Jesus. I mean, isn't this the argument Jesus has with the religious leaders? Their whole problem is they follow all the rules, they figured everything out, but they don't need God. And they're condemned. And there are lots of people around Jesus who don't know half the things that the religious leaders know, but the one thing they do know is that they need Jesus. And they surrender to him. And Jesus has some pretty awesome things to say about them. It struck me recently that Adam and Eve need Jesus in the garden just as much before they sin as after. Because if they don't need Jesus before, they're just doing it all themselves. You could make the argument that their sin is rooted in their mindset that they don't need God anymore. I can do it myself. I'm good enough. And that is the root of virtually all sin. And so there is this existence in which Jesus is everything to us. Jesus is all of life to us. Everything about our minds, everything about our bodies, everything about our existence is about yearning for Jesus, following Jesus, serving Jesus, loving Jesus, worshiping Jesus. I mean, that is the, the whole essence of heaven. It's all about Jesus. I mean, even as we talk about what we may do and what we may learn and what life will be like... The supposition of that can be disagreed and argued, but the one thing that we know is true is that all of it will be about Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. And so the writer John in Revelation, the words talking about Jesus in chapter 1, says that he is Lord over everything. And worthy is the Lamb. Why? To receive honor and blessing and everything. Because it's all about Jesus. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, Paul says, whether we're in the body or out of the body, here's the one thing. Everything we do is to please Jesus. It always comes back to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And if we ever come to the place where we say, I, I think I've arrived that I don't really need Jesus, that's not holiness. That's the opposite. I'm convinced that the heart of holy living, at the heart of being a, a fully committed disciple of Christ, what drives that is that we never forget that our lives 
only have significance in Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. And that's why Paul says, think about heavenly things. Because if we're going to be that then, that's what we are now. And the problem with our lives now is not that we haven't arrived and we haven't become perfect. The problem with our lives now is we keep thinking we can do it ourselves. The heart of the gospel is our surrender to Jesus and recognizing that all of life has meaning and purpose only in Jesus. And when we begin to understand that then, it begins to absorb us and take us like over us now. And life becomes so much different. It's about Jesus. There are some who believe that the worship of Jesus is primarily about um, standing back and, and, and you know, singing to Jesus and gazing at Jesus. And I think that's probably going to be a part of it. I, I have a feeling we won't be able to take our eyes off Jesus. Even when we're working and we're thinking and we're doing things, it, it's, it's all about Jesus. But I'm not sure that's the only way we worship. I think worship is all of life. It's not just worship when we come on Sunday morning and we sing and we pray and we hear the word and then we go home and the rest of the week is not worship. And then next Sunday we come back and we do the same thing and we come here and we worship and then we go do our own thing. Everything we do is God's calling us to make it an act of worship. Every book we read, everything we watch, Every relationship we have, every activity we invest ourselves in, whether we are at home or at work or at church or anywhere else, every moment is an opportunity to worship Jesus. And the reason we believe that is because in eternity, every moment is an opportunity, is a moment when we will be worshiping Jesus. And when we pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, what we're saying is we want the kingdom that is heaven. We want to be a part of bringing that kingdom now on earth. Having the mindset of heaven. Having the perspective of heaven. Having a heart of heaven. That's really what it means to be a disciple. And so a part of, a huge part of our worship is to serve and to love. In John 13, Jesus washes his disciples' feet and he says to them, now what I've done to you, you do to each other. And then just a few minutes later, he says, this is how people will know you're my disciples if you love each other. Serving and loving are central to the kingdom. And when we get, when Jesus appears and ushers in the kingdom in all of its fullness and glory, God will not put the brakes on serving and loving. He's not going to say, well, that was for the earth, but now we're going to do something different. We're going to let all that go. This is, these are eternal kingdom principles. There's a Scottish preacher in the 19th century who said that, um, he said that Jesus spent his whole ministry life trying to to present, trying to address false ideas. And he said, not so much because they were evil, but because they were temporary. He said, when Jesus talks about truth, it's not just so that we'll know what's good, but so that we know what's eternal. And the things that Jesus teaches, these are eternal things of the kingdom. And one of the ways, one of the most profound ways in which we will worship God, I think, is by loving and serving Him and loving and serving each other. Because that's the nature of the kingdom. And instead of being a drudgery, quite frankly, like it can be now, it will be joy. Because it's worshiping Jesus. We just want to do what Jesus does, we want to be what Jesus is. We want to act the way Jesus acts. And we will find great joy in loving and serving him and loving and serving each other. 
Because that's who Jesus is. And that's what Jesus does. And that's the nature of the kingdom and the good news. And the joy will be in using our bodies and our minds the way Jesus does. It's fascinating to me how interested Paul is in talking about the resurrected body. And talking about how it's not resurrection unless it's a bodily resurrection. And the connectedness of of our restored bodies to our faith. And it's interesting to me that when Jesus gives us a sign, the most profound vision of the kingdom, he gives us this table. Isn't it interesting that the first miracle Jesus performs is not the healing of the sick or the raising of the dead or even the forgivingness of sins. It's changing water into wine at a wedding so people can have a feast. And the last thing Jesus does with his disciples, sitting in the upper room, they have a meal together. And when you get to Revelation 19, and John is describing the scene there, he says, What I saw was everyone from every nation gathered around, engaged in celebrating the marriage supper of the Lamb. And Jesus says in Luke 22, he says to his disciples, you've stood with me in trial. You've you've kept with me. And I'm going to give you the right to eat and drink in the table of my kingdom. Our bodies and minds will engage with him and bring glory to him as we worship him. And the question for us now is getting just a glimpse of that heavenly vision, just getting a glimpse of the new heaven, the new earth, and what our bodies and minds may be then. The question for us is, what are we doing with our bodies and minds now? How are we using them to love and to serve and to worship Jesus? Father, thank you for your grace to us, your mercy to us. Lord, we thank you for this table. Father, we pray that your blessing will be poured out upon the bread and the cup. And as we eat and drink, we will know the power of the risen Christ filling us and changing us, making us new, and giving us not just a spirit of thanksgiving for what you've done in Christ, but a spirit of hope and joy for what you've promised us in Christ. Thank you. We pray this through Jesus. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. For this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. As you are released by rose this morning, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, eat it, and then you may return to your seat by the outside aisle. We have trays and cups in the back. We're happy to serve you in your row if you prefer that. And I have gluten-free wafers and cups here. Just let me know if you need those when you come to the front. We practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. If your heart is open to God and your desire is to serve Him and to worship Him and to live eternally with Him, then come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving Heavenly Father. Thank you.
Yeah. 
Receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.